Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on What Are You Thinking? Part 3. All right. We're going to jump in again this week. Uh, This will be our third week in... Is it up here? What? What are you thinking? All right. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Or as I said the first week, what in the world are you thinking? And I think that's so appropriate because it is worldly thoughts that we're talking about that rob us of peace and hope and joy. What in the world are we thinking? I want to jump in today, James chapter 2. We were here on the first week, okay? And uh, I'm going to go back to it again today. James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My mom taught on Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago, and she teaches school. She substitute teaches, and um, she brought candy in and threw it to us on Wednesday night so that we'd pay attention to adults. It was kind of fun. So I asked her to bring me a bag today. But I'm not doing that with it. Something totally different. So you're not getting this candy today. It's just uh, I know, y'all are disappointed. You come on Wednesday night, you might get candy thrown out. It's a Wednesday that's a Wednesday night thing. It's a Wednesday night thing. So um, yeah, if you've been watching on the internet, we'll mail you candy. Say I need candy. I'm watching. We don't even put Wednesday nights on the internet. What are you talking about? Nobody's listening to it on the internet. My goodness. Man, that's a great sermon I watched the other night. It was awesome. What? <laughs> James chapter 2. Very familiar passage, especially since we preached about it two weeks ago. My dear brothers and sisters, fellow believers... In our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. How can we say that we have faith in Him, yet we favor one group of people above another? Suppose an influential man comes into your worship meeting wearing gold rings and expensive clothing, and also a homeless man in shabby clothes comes in. If you show special attention, whoops, if you my computer's been acting up. If anybody knows how to work on Macs, I think I have a virus. My email opens up all of a sudden. <clears throat> Where was I? If you show special attention to the rich man expensive clothes and say, here's a seat of honor for you right up front, but you turn and say to the poor beggar dressed in rags, you can stand over here or sit over there on the floor in the back, then you've demonstrated gross prejudice among yourselves and used evil standards of judgment. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we did not talk about treating certain certain people groups fairly. We went deeper than that to the root. That is a symptom, but we talked about the reason we don't treat people right is because we've made evil judgments, those same judgments, those same motives we've used to judge ourselves. We've let the adversary tell us lies about ourselves, which causes us to look for faults in other people so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves. And so that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But I want to just hone in today on this last line, used evil standards of judgment, and we're going to go somewhere else with this in a little while, but I just want us to look at this for a few moments. Use evil standards of judgments, okay? A standard is constituting or conforming to a standard, especially established by law or custom standard weight, okay? So when you talk about a standard, that is some type of either law or perceived, mostly it's a perceived law, it is a normative process that then becomes standard. It's funny, uh, Paul and I, we were building something one day and we were talking about how that America uses standard 
measuring system and we call it standard. Isn't that how America is? I mean, the rest of the world uses, a majority of the world uses a different unit of measurement, but we use inches and, uh, you know, all those things. And, and so we call it standard, right? This is standard. Y'all are substandard. You know, it's like, no, y'all get on board, whatever. But I just think that's funny. So, but it's a standard unit of measurement. So if I had a tape measure with me today, which I meant to bring, but I didn't, we have this standard. We have, we've, we've come to accept or adapt this is how you measure something. If you say these carpet squares are two foot by two foot, which they are, you would say, how do you know that? Well, because they're 24 inches by 24 inches. How does that mean it's two foot by? We have to at some point just accept some standard of measurement and then we build that on that foundation of that's how things are, okay? Because if I'm going to order more carpet squares when you guys spill your coffee on it, then I have to tell them that I need a two foot by two foot square. I have to go by the same standard. Okay? So that is a standard. It's a law. It's a customary. It's a, it's a pattern. It's something that we've now established and we use it as a unit of measurement. Okay? So an evil standard, uh, the, the Greek word for this standard is, here we go, dialogismos, all right? Dialogismos, it's a reasoning, a calculation, reasoning, thought, movement of thought, deliberation, plotting. In this specific verse, it means judges with evil thoughts who follow perverse opinions and reprehensible principles. It is an intellectual revolt against God. An intellectual revolt against God and his principles. That's what reasoning with evil motives are. Remember, last week we talked about if we are led by the flesh, a mind that is led by the flesh cannot please God because that mind is at enmity with God. It is an enemy of God. And so if we set a standard contrary to God's standard, then everything, say everything, everything we measure is wrong. If we say an inch is really three quarters of an inch, and then I go and I order two-foot carpet squares, do the math, I can't that fast, but it involves fractions, okay? <laughs> but it involves fractions, so, but the, the, these squares aren't gonna be right. How much frustration in life comes when we keep assessing situations with the wrong standard unit of measurement. And we get to the place where it's all supposed to come together. We've been hoping, we've been dreaming, we've been calculating. We've been planning, we've been getting emotionally invested in this relationship that's gonna pan out. And it's gonna bring, bring about this type of return. And then we go to put all the pieces together and nothing fits. And we're frustrated. Mark seven. Sometimes when we look at this in James and it says evil standards of measurement, we're like, yeah, how evil could that be? I mean, it's just a standard of judgment. This is the same word, the same thought, this a reasoning, this dialogismos is in Mark 7, 21. Evil originates from inside a person. 
coming out of a heart are evil schemes. That evil schemes is that same word. Standards, a reasoning with evil motives. That's that same word, evil schemes. And so if we've got a wrong standard, then we fall into the schemes. We start, we have to try to scheme to make it work. I mean, we've got this just, we, we've got to try to, we've got to try to get an angle all the time. We've got, we're, we've got a chip on our shoulder. We're bent a certain way because nothing works. And so to make it work, we have to have schemes. So when we enter relationships, we're entering a relationship for what we can get out of that relationship because we've kept, we've seen many times how it doesn't fit together and it doesn't work out. So I come into a relationship predisposed pre and ready and prepared to get what I need out of that relationship. So I look at life with a broken standard and then evil schemes come out of that. Same word. Sex, and look, look, what, look what it's in line with here. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, and recklessness. I would say all of those are all schemes that are burst out of a broken standard. Sexual immorality comes from a broken standard. You know what this word is? I did, this was looking it up in Greek, that sexual immorality there. I, I don't remember exactly how to say it. I didn't write it down, but it's porneos. It's the root word for pornography. It literally translates to sell yourself. So we go through life with broken standards. We go through life without looking to God, the truth, the real, and we don't look for him and his instruction and we're not obedient to him to find fulfillment in life. And we end up trying to make it add up. You've got to make up the deficit somewhere. If you're balancing your checkbook and it keeps coming up short, then sometime you have to go back and reconcile it. And if we're not looking to God to reconcile, we will sell ourselves to reconcile. When you're not getting enough out of relationships because you're not doing them God's way, you ain't, man, this has turned into like relationship counseling today. When you're not getting it out of your job, you end up taking it into your own hands to make up the difference. I'll end up having to kick somebody else's rung out from under them to make sure that I get what I deserve. I'll have to try to catch somebody else in something. I'll have to try to fudge 15 minutes. I'll have to try to clock in or clock out or find some way to take advantage of the situation to get ahead because I'm looking at everything through a broken standard. If we were looking as it do unto the Lord... Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord and he will reward you. You would never try to rob God of 15 minutes if you trusted him to provide for you. I remember Lisa Sonard and I, is Lisa in here? She might be in kids today. Lisa Sonard and I, we drove school buses together. She's still driving. I've been delivered praying for her to be delivered. No, she enjoys it for some reason. She loves children. I don't. I have enough at home. I don't want any more. But I remember we, I guess I can just say it now, we worked for a company that was not highly ethical. And um, they would do things and put us in situations that weren't good and sometimes the pay didn't work the way it was supposed to work. And sometimes things just didn't do right. And we would get together and talk and I would always tell Lisa, it's a good thing I don't work for them. And we were just getting to know each other and that was confusing. It's a good thing I don't work for them. I mean, it may be an assignment that I'm currently doing 
as unto the Lord, but he is my employer. And he is the one that takes care of me. They don't have the ability to shortchange me. Because where they stop, he takes over. And so we have to look at everything we do as unto the Lord. But if we're looking, I didn't want to mean to get off on this rabbit trail, but if we're looking at everything through a broken thing somewhere, we have to try to make it reconcile. And that's where sin comes in. That's where corruption comes in. That's where I'm going to get mine comes in. Look at Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 46. I'm in the passion. The disciples began to argue. You know what that word is? Dialogismos. They began to reason. Another translation says a reasoning arose. A reasoning happened amongst the disciples and they became preoccupied over who would be the greatest among them. The same word. Evil motives, evil thoughts, they began to contemplate through a broken standard, who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the most important? Who's going to have the best seat? So they were still calculating, tallying their life on a broken standard. And it caused them to have divisions among themselves, trying to figure out who the greatest is. Look at Romans Chapter 1, verse 21. Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them, yet they refused to honor him as God or even be thankful for his kindness. Instead, they entertained dialogismos, corrupt and foolish thoughts. This is all interchangeable evil standards of judgment, evil schemes, reasonings, arguments. They entertained corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. This left them with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. So even though they had no reason not to see the hand of God moving and working, they began to still calculate life and calculate their experiences through broken standards. Evil motives. Another translation says they became futile in their reasoning. Futile is, set, is serving no useful purpose. Completely ineffective. Wholly ineffective. Do you get it? Futile. A futile task is a task that absolutely cannot be accomplished. You will just spin your wheels and spin your energy for eternity and it will never be done. A futile attempt at evaluating life is what comes with a broken standard. Reason, the power of comprehending, inferring or thinking, especially in orderly, rational ways. So the power of comprehending, inferring or thinking, especially in orderly, rational ways are completely ineffective and serve no useful purpose. We have to think of things through the Spirit. Look at 1 Timothy 2. For God is one, and there is one mediator between God and the sons of men. The true man, Jesus, the anointed one. So there's one mediator, one go-between between God and man, and it's Jesus. He gave himself as ransom payment for everyone. So the mediator, the go-between, okay, if you're in arbitration because there is some type of 
unmet expectation between you and someone else and something isn't adding up and something has to be done about it. Amends has to be made. You have a mediator that goes between you. Are you with me? So when we've done all that we can do through our own reasoning and rationalizing and we come up short, we then have a mediator that goes between us and the ultimate holy standard of God. Here's the cool thing. Think about this. You're in arbitration. Someone's suing you. You defaulted on something. Y'all would never do that. I'll use myself as an example then. Say I don't pay for my truck. They're coming and they want the money. I don't think that would go to arbitration. I think that would go to a repossessor. (laughs) It would just be gone, right? Maybe a bad example. But I have some disagreement and I'm short and I know I'm short. How about that? And I go to arbitration and I've got a mediator and that mediator is making proposals and all these things. Now here's crazy. Here's what's crazy. That mediator would normally come back to me and say, okay, you need to write this check or you're going to be indebted to this or we're going to have to make payment arrangements, (laughs) right? But the mediator is the one that actually paid the ransom. So the mediator is like, I'm going to mediate this and by the way, I'm going to go ahead and pay it. The one who's ever interceding for us, ever making mediation for us is also the one that has paid all of our ransoms. The debt never even comes back to us. All we ever hear back from him is, you're good, you're good, you're okay, I got it, I took care of it. That's the standard that we have to live our life by. That's the standard we have to live our life by. Because if not, we're going to be overwhelmed with anxiety. We're going to be overwhelmed with fear. We're going to be overwhelmed with how we're going to eat and what we're going to wear because we're like heathens that don't understand we have a father that takes care of those needs. But if we don't have a right standard, okay? He gave himself his ransom payment for everyone. Verse 6. Now is the proper time for God to give the world this witness. I have been divinely called as an apostle to preach this revelation, which is the truth. God has called me to be a trustworthy teacher to the nations. Verse 8, therefore I encourage the men to pray on every occasion with hands lifted to God in worship with clean hearts, free from dialogismos. Come on, because he's the mediator, because he's paid a ransom, because he's done those things, because this is the truth, I want to declare that to the world and I want men to sit around with their hands lifted up, free from evil motives, evil standards, evaluating their life with a broken system. I want men to be free because they know the truth. So therefore, I encourage all men on every occasion with hands lifted to God in worship and clean hearts, free from frustration and strife is how it's translated. Same word, but free from frustration and strife. The frustration and the strife of your life is from wrong standards. I mean, whatever it is. If you're frustrated, you're evaluating it in the wrong standard. If you're strifeful and contentious, you're evaluating it with a wrong standard, period. Whatever it is, if you're frustrated, you're blind. You're not seeing correctly. Your tape measure's broken. Did you, were you able to get that uh, multiplication table? Thank you, guys. I threw that on them last minute. They got her done. Got her done. You're looking at something like this. That's a multiplication table, if you don't know. That's a cheat sheet. But you can imagine if you just started 
arbitrarily changing a lot of those numbers inside those boxes. That's what the one that would like to outwit us with his evil schemes does. In the garden, he just began to wide out some of the boxes, put in different numbers. And you're saying, okay, he told us not to eat of the tree. Let's follow that line over. Uh, He knows everything, though. He must not want us to be like him and know stuff. Somehow he's holding things back from us. See, you can just follow every, I've done this to this person. I've done this in this relationship. They did this in this relationship. Here's the final answer. Every time on a broken standard, you'll follow these lines over. See, I mean, you understand how it works. You follow five down, five over, it's 25. But five times five, if you put a 40 there, it's wrong. And there's frustration and there's strife and there's contention and there's hopelessness because the standard has been messed up. Everything's been scrambled and everything's been blinded. We have to build our life on the truth of God's word. Mark chapter eight, if you'll go there with me. This is a game time decision on this verse, whether we're gonna read it or not. I think we have time. No, I'm going to paraphrase it. Mark chapter 8, 14 through 25, if you're taking notes. I just want to paraphrase the first portion of this. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's just fed, I think, the 4,000. And he's talking to the disciples, and they get on a boat, and he tells them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, okay? And we know that he's talking about, uh, specifically, I believe he's talking here about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but you could be talking about a lot of things as leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? And so he's saying, you gotta be, you can't just take everything and just consume it. These Pharisees, you've got to hold what they're saying to a standard, right? And take out what doesn't belong, what could cause you to be leavened. And so, but he's telling this warning, the disciples did not take bread with them on this journey. So Jesus is like, okay, this at this point, he's already fed the 5,000 and he's already fed 4,000. He's trying to teach them something about the Pharisees and they, throw that back up. They, put that chart back up. They're like, okay, Jesus just asked us if we had bread. We didn't bring any bread. Or Jesus said something about leaven. We didn't bring bread. He's rebuking us for not having bread. Right? Now, where are we at? Where are we going to pick up? Verse 17. Knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, why all this fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Verse 17, guys, I'm sorry. I don't know if I told you. Do you still not see or understand what I say to you? Are your hearts still hard? Are you still using this broken system somehow? Are you still processing everything through the flesh? Are you still processing everything through a lamp that's bad instead of through the spirit? Where am I at? You have good eyes. Your eyes are good yet you still don't see. And you have good ears, yet you still don't hear. Neither do you remember. When I multiplied the bread to feed more than 5,000 people, how many baskets full of leftovers did you have? 12, they replied. And when I multiplied food to feed over 4,000, How many large baskets full of leftovers did you gather afterwards? Seven, they replied. Then how is it that you still don't get it? (laughs) Like, 
Okay, guys, we fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. How many baskets did we have left over? 12. We fed 4,000. How many baskets did we have? Seven. And you think that I'm wanting to have a conversation about the lack of bread on our journey. See how absurd it is? See how absurd it is? See how absurd it is? When they arrived at Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch him and heal him. So you can't, this is another thing. I always reiterate to you, you have to read the Bible together. You can't just hear sermons. You can't just hear text out of context used to make a great point. You need to read the Bible. So they arrived at Bethesda. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus, begging him to touch him and heal him. So Jesus led him as his sighted guide. I love that for one thing. John used a verse. I don't know if she used a verse or I used a verse last week. I think I used it last week, but he guides you with his eye on you from Proverbs. So Jesus led him as his sighted guide outside the village. So we can't see. Aren't you thankful, even though we can't see and we don't get it, that he still leads us and he still walks us to sight? I mean, this is, a, this is an object lesson right here for the disciples. You need to understand that. He's just having a conversation with them. He said, you have good eyes, but you can't see. Okay? That's... Um, let me just tell you, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, people perish. The term vision is the complex of eye and brain. Do you know you can have perfect eyes and not be able to see? You can have brain injury. You can have something underdeveloped. People can have something wrong with their brain and have perfect eyes and not be able to see. It's a complex. It's a, it's a partnering of two. And us being able to see in the spirit is a partnering of two. We have to have eyes of the spirit. So he guides him, placed his saliva on the man's eyes and covered them with his hands. Then he asked him, now do you see anything? Yes, he said, my sight is coming back. I'm beginning to see people, but they look like trees, walking trees. Now I'm, I'm under, the, I'm under the conviction and belief that the guy's eyes were immediately fixed. His eyes were perfect when Jesus touched him. But he's giving his disciples a beautiful picture of themselves. You guys have perfect eyes, but you can't see. He walks into town, blind guy comes up. He's like, okay, guys, watch this. I'm going to show you something. This is y'all. This is me leading y'all all the time right now. I'm guiding you even though you can't see, and I'm patient with you. And this is y'all when I keep touching your eyes and your eyes can see, but then you're still not processing right. I see men, but they're like trees. Okay, that's back here. When he gets you, your processor rebooted. Do you really think Jesus, this is the only time in scripture you ever see Jesus pray for somebody and they're not completely, totally made whole? Did his power get weak? Or was he teaching his disciples a lesson? Praise for him. I can see, my eyes work, but men look like trees. Yes, we're not done. We're not done. So, Jesus puts his hands over the man's eyes a second time and made him look up. The man opened his eyes wide and he could see everything perfectly. His eyesight was completely restored. We can't see men as trees. And we can't see men as fulfillment 
We can't see men wrong. We can't see brothers and sisters wrong. We can't see our spouses wrong. We can't see our children wrong. We can't see our friends wrong. We can't calculate relationships wrong because we're judging them on a broken standard. They're going to come up lacking and come up wanting. 1 John 1, 9, we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Ephesians 1, 7, 8, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Hebrews 8, 12, for I'll be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Colossians 1, 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 4, 32, make a clean break with all cutting, backbiting, profane talk, be gentle with one another, sensitive. And here we go. We just read what Jesus has done. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Woo, Jesus, thank you. As quickly and as thoroughly as he's forgiven you, forgive others. See, I want to talk today, what in the world are you thinking? Not forgiving those people. What in the world are you thinking? How have you got this thing messed up? How has a person, how has a man, how has a woman, how has a boy or a girl taken the place of God in your life and somehow you've miscalculated their ability to be able to diminish your capacity in your life. <clears throat> we got to forgive. Unforgiveness is using broken standards. Unforgiveness is trying to exact something from somebody that they can't give you because no human can give it to you. The reason I got this, and I've done this several times over the years. Who will actually eat a piece of candy right now? Just run up here and get one. Come on. Just run up here and get one. Come on, some more of y'all can come and get some to you. Look, all the young people. Come on, hurry. Oh, hey, don't be picky. Just grab one now. Come on. I'm on time on the clock here. Yeah, look at these adults. Come on, adults don't eat candy. Come on. Come on. Come on, get some candy. Get two or three. You can, I mean, come on. Come on, get all you want. Just take it. It's, oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I love it. Stuff those pockets full. You got pockets? Yeah, get some more. Get some more. Come on, get some more. Get a big old handful, no. Come on, take, take a bunch. Yeah, take a bunch. Take a bunch. Take a bunch. There you go. Woo! Yeah, anybody else? Come on. Yeah. Y'all been up here twice now. Come on. Get, get enough this time now. Use your brain. All right. All those people take from you. Sometimes nobody takes it from you. You just literally like try to throw it at people, right? Huh? This is what you do? Oh, please take it. Oh, please take it. Throw yourself on people. You think I can do that? Almost. Look, man, this is my heart. It was overflowing and full. This is how we come into the world, fearfully and wonderfully made, everything we ever need to be everything he destined and purposed us to be is in us, right? But then people happen. People happen. And people partake of you. People hurt you. People seemingly diminish your possibilities. You leave relationships with less than you started with. You thought this relationship was going to increase you and complete you. 
because you got a broken standard if you ever thought a man or woman was going to complete you. And so you thought they were going to complete you and nobody on this earth can ever live up to that standard. So eventually they failed you and now you hate them and they took a large portion of your heart with them. And here's the deal. As long as, as long as I keep record of who took those pieces and I assign those pieces a place of residence in them and I wait on them to bring that piece back one day, I'll always be empty. I'll always be lacking. Anybody ever had somebody do you wrong and you thought if you could ever just get them to say the words or do the thing that it would make you whole again? And has anybody ever had them say the words and do the thing and it didn't work? Man, if I could just, get, if they, if I could just make them know what they did. If I could just hear them say the words, if I could just see them grovel, if I could just see justice, if I could just see all this stuff, I'll be filled. No, you can't. Because you know who gave you all this stuff to start with? It wasn't a man. And this stuff, there's more where it came from. But you gotta let it go. That piece that Haley took cannot be replaced unless I release that piece to Haley. And I go to the father and I say, hey, Haley took two pieces. What'd she get, three musketeer? Here, look, I was just gonna do two. This is how God works, double for your trouble. I'm not just gonna give you one, I'm gonna give you yeah, go ahead, girl, get him. <laughs> Double for your trouble. Come on, he is a, I, I wish I could have, you know, you talk about an elaborate analogy, if I could just had a, a waterfall right here of candy coming out of the cross. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, right? I mean, it's a nonstop river, but you gotta let go and you've gotta look to the source. Remember, some trust in Horiots. Don't trust in Horiots. Don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in men. Don't trust in horses. Never think someone is going to be able to give you back what they've taken. It only diminishes you if you decide it diminishes you. If you refuse to let it go. And that's why unforgiveness will hold us captive and will hold us bound. We have to release it. We have to go to the cross. You know what it says when I say, did you get one? I can't use your name if you didn't get one. Susan took my last Milky Way, God. He's the mediator. He paid the ransom. You literally, when I refuse to let go and I just keep reminding God, you're literally screaming at God. God, you're not enough. You're not enough. You don't understand. I need Susan to repay me. You're not enough. Do you understand how dangerous unforgiveness is? This dialogimos, this scheming, this evil motives, this all broken standards, this trying to exact thing from other people and holding record. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record. Remember, as far as the east is from the west, he's removed us from our sin. Yet we want to jot it down every time someone brings a slide against us. And you know what we put it in? We put it in our ledger. 
with our broken system. We've got a ledger of wrong deeds. We've got a ledger of things people have done to us. And we sit around and we look at our ledger and we contemplate our ledger and we try to reconcile it and it never reconciles. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Wow, I got a dollar for one little piece of candy. God will send some other folks to pay you (laughs) from what somebody else stole from you. I promise. But you got to let it go first. We sit there and we've got our ledger book and we've got it all and we're trying to figure it and make it work. Uh, R27 piece, Haley's got. R47, Michael's got. Man, I got record. Oh, I feel this prompting in my spirit. The Lord is laying something on my heart. I would love to do that, but I got to wait on R33 to come back. God, you don't understand. Like there's too much missing. And some of it was my own fault. You know, God, I threw that piece away. I squandered that part. I squandered that thing that you put in me. I'm the one that did it. God, but now you're asking for something that I don't have. And we either hold ourselves accountable or we hold somebody else accountable, but we scream at God, you don't understand how bad I am. You're not enough. You don't understand how bad they are. You're not enough. And I want to say, you don't understand how good he is. You are enough. See, this whole system was never about you. This whole system was never about them. This whole system was always about him. And he's able to fulfill you, refill you, your cup consistently running over. Man, that would have been a beautiful fountain. The absurdity. Remember earlier when I reiterated the absurdity? the absurdity of sitting under a never-ending fountain of fulfillment and looking at people that have taken from us and trying to exact from them payment for their debt. It's like Matthew chapter 18. There's a parable Peter's asking Jesus about how many times he has to forgive. He doesn't like the answer. Jesus gives him a parable. This man had a massive debt. He could never have repaid it. He went in and the master forgave him of his debt. He left the master and he went and he exacted. He demanded payment from someone who owed him. And when the first master heard about him demanding that payment from the other person, he said, you know what? Throw him in jail. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom will be like. He says, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. See, here's the thing. This stage and this fountain is in a realm. I don't even remember who they were, but this is the best analogy I've ever heard of forgiveness. There was, there's a stage, I think it was Arnott. Anybody heard of Arnott? Revival up in uh, Toronto. What are those people's names? Arnott? James, yep. You're in this ever-flowing river fountain. It's like the promised land, milk and honey. Well, I'm still going to figure out about that milk and honey. Locusts and wild honey thing. Me and Howard were on his property the other day. Do you know that there's a tree called... Honey locusts, okay, and it has massive thorns. I, I left my piece in your truck. Okay, awesome. Massive thorns. I believe it's the thorns they used on Jesus. I mean, these thorns are massive. And I just think there's something to that, that they named this tree honey locusts. You know, John the Baptist, who prepared the way of the Lord, was eating locusts and wild honey in the wilderness, and then this tree of thorns is a honey locust. I don't know. I'm just telling you, that's wild to me. Um, But we're in this promised land of mercy. Anybody thankful for the promised land of mercy? 
you don't deserve it, you've made all the wrong choices or at least enough to disqualify you from fulfillment in life. We should just be waiting until we die, right? But we're in this promised land of mercy and it's overflowing. We got a fountain of Milky Way, Snickers and Twix and three musketeers up here. Never ending. As long as we stay at the source, we're never lacking. Lack's never our problem. But here's the deal. I remember, anybody not ate a piece of candy yet? <laughs> I remember Hannah has a piece of candy from me. So I literally leave the fountain. <laughs> Stupid. Leave the candy fountain to get a piece of candy. Right? Leave the realm of mercy. This is the this is the trap. This is the enticement of the adversary. You know, he's able to go to God and say, hey, they're not in the realm of mercy anymore. They they need judgment. They've left your realm of mercy. They're not in faith in you. They're, they're in my world now. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they don't see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, they're out here with me. They're blind right now. They've turned their back on the fountain. I would that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. I want you your cup running over. You all, they've left that. They wandered out here. Where's my piece of candy? I need a piece of candy. Give me my piece of candy back. I thought you raised your hand. I said, who hadn't ate one yet? Hey, give me my piece of candy back. I get my measly little Milky Way back. And I'm so excited. And I'm, oh, yes. And then all of a sudden... I look up and I realize, oh no. Look how far from mercy I am. And immediately, our adversary is like, hey, 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 uh -uh. move the hedge. He chose this. He chose this. He made this decision. He made this, remove the hedge. You're a God of justice. You're just, move the heads, let me hit it, let me there. He rejected mercy. And I'm totally wide open. Yeah. I remember, man, a song, one of the songs they did at Brownsville I love so much is the mercy seat, come running. Yeah. Come running to the mercy seat. That's what we got to do. He says, on your way to the mercy seat, <laughs> be prepared to extend mercy before you get there. When you were going to come pray to me and leave a gift for me or any of those things and you realize you haven't released somebody else, go take care of that first. Because as soon as I release mercy, I can't teleport. I wish I could. I'd do it right here in front of y'all. But this is the way the kingdom works. I don't have to make this journey back up there. When I release that into his hand, bam, I'm right under the fountain. I'm immediately back under the fountain. How silly is it? Sitting here back and forth over one piece and all I got to do is just let go. And I've got all I could ever need. In my life, I've seen different ministries and several people who God has used mightily in healing. Anybody want some candy? You can come get it when it's over. What? When it's over. Well, you come now. You come now. Come on. You got to be like a child. That was his answer when they were wondering about who was going to be the greatest, by the way. When they had those broken motives, he just said, hey, just jump up and go. 
But I've seen people had a very powerful gift on their life and healing flow. And I've seen before they'll pray for someone that's sick, they'll say, do you have unforgiveness? They could ask a lot of questions, right? They could say, hey, do you, uh, you know, are you involved in sexual immorality? Hey, are you do this? Hey, do you do this? Hey, do you gossip? Hey, do you do this? <laughs> they could do a lot of things. But I've seen so many times them ask, do you have unforgiveness? And I've seen people pray a prayer and forgive and release people and be healed. That's why I know unforgiveness opens us up. Somebody come play. It's time to go. Y'all stand up with me and we'll leave. Just a minute. Prayer team, if you'll come down. All of this starts with broken standards of measurement. Broken views of worth. Broken standards of what is successful and what's not. They got these memes on social media, relationship goes, right? And you'll see these relationships or whatever. Reminds me of the sermon I preached one time, the gospel according to Facebook. You make all these standards for your life based on broken systems. And then it doesn't add up and we're frustrated and we don't know what's going on and we lash out our frustration at other people. We take it out on them. We hold debts. I was talking with somebody here last week after service and we were talking about unforgiveness and if they were here today, I was going to make a disclaimer at the beginning of my sermon that this sermon isn't preaching at them. But they're just one of many conversations I've had in the last week is including conversations with myself. I can remember in times past asking questions. Why do I feel that way? It's one thing to manage your behavior, okay? See, sometimes we, we're masters on managing our behavior and we're train wrecks on managing our emotions. And I don't think God is just concerned with your behavior. He wants you to be holy, complete, and lacking nothing. So I remember I can, boom, right off, I can, I remember one time I was a youth pastor and I, something, I don't remember what happened, but I remember hitting a stop sign with my fist. I think I broke my hand. And I remember over time not hitting signs anymore because I knew you can't do that. You got to grow up. But I remember feeling like I wanted to hit a sign just the same. And I said, God, why? I don't care if I do the right thing if I feel the wrong way. I want to feel the right way. See, his, his truth is not just about behavior modification. He, his truth is for you to be free. He wants you to be free. He wants you to let go. And my issue was, is I was using a broken measure, a broken standard 
so that when people in authority, when I was on staff places, when they questioned or I felt like I was scolded or I felt like I didn't do enough, it would send me spiraling. Because I found my worth in doing a good job. Jumping higher and running faster and doing all those things, doing my job the best. But it was a broken standard. And everybody will always pay the price of your broken standard. Everybody else. No one will be able to add up. No one will be able to, to make it in your book. No one will be able to qualify. No one will be able to, to be in relationship with you. So God, today, I know there's people here that have been like me. And it came to my mind this week because some of those feelings came up this week in certain situations and circumstances and they were way too familiar and way too reminiscent of things I don't want in my life. I believe you show me, Lord, that there's many more that are being tormented by these standards and these wrong ideas about fulfillment in life and whose job it is to fulfill us and whose job it is and who's indebted to us. So God, I just lead us today in a prayer of releasing debts Some of you need to just get in your mind right now, somebody, and you need to release that debt. It doesn't mean what they did was okay. It, doesn't, it never means that. It just means that no matter what they do, they could never undo it and they could never fill the void. And so I'm gonna release them from that debt so that I can go to the correct source and find mercy and fulfillment and wholeness. So I just release the debt right now. Every person that's spoken evil about you, every person that's told lies about you, every person that's done harm to you, every person that's misled you, every person that's left you, every person that's rejected you, we just release debt right now. As simple as that picture of releasing my hand with that three musketeers right now, we just release. Whatever you want back from them, whatever you're expecting from them, whatever you think they could do to make you whole, can you just release it right now? Just release it. Run to mercy right now, run to mercy. God, I release mercy because I need mercy. I just break every tie. I break every agreement with any assignment of the adversary that's gained access into my life through my unforgiveness right now. I release that debt and I break every agreement right now that I've made. Jesus, would you cover me with your blood? Would you cover me with your mercy and your grace? Would you cover me right now? I accept, I accept the ransom you paid. I accept the price that you paid and it is enough for me. It is enough for me. I trust you. I trust you. I look to you. God, I look to you. God, I look to you. God, I look to you. You are enough for me. You are enough for me. Come on, just let that releasing them and worshiping him just go hand in hand right now. You are enough for me.
You are enough for me. You are enough for me. This act of faith right now, releasing this debt is an act of faith. I'm claiming you are enough for me. You are enough for me. take it a step further, God, I just ask you for mercy for that individual, for that person. God, I ask for your mercy on their life. Let them know you. Let them trust you. Let them be complete and lacking nothing. Let them not be blinded by the God of this age, but let them see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them see who they are in you. no longer a thing that can be exploited by my adversary to wreak havoc in my life and cause pain and cause anxiety and turmoil and stress. Just release it in Jesus' name. I release in Jesus' name. Prayer team is here if you would like to come for individual prayer this morning I encourage you if you need prayer if you need agreement if you're struggling to forgive if you're struggling to release if you're struggling to let go let someone agree with you today for strength to release for faith to trust in Jesus name we love you. See you Wednesday. If not, see you at one of the multitude of life groups this week. We love you. Be careful. Be safe and be bold. How about that? Be safe and be bold this week. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.